This is the non-microwave truth, and I am C.L. Whiteside. Got something special for y'all today. A special guest, Pastor Jeremy, one of our many talented pastors, A Time of Grace. I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell you all the different stuff he does because I might forget. So go ahead, Jeremy. Hey, thanks, C.L. Good to see you again. C.L. and I go way back. We, um, I uh, was a pastor of, pastor of the church where C.L. grew up starting back in 2004, so I would have first met him back then, served as a pastor there. While I was a pastor there, got involved with the Time of Grace kind of later in my ministry there. And for Time of Grace, I do a, a variety of things. Uh, do I'm a, one of the Grace Talk speakers. I've been doing that for about five or six years. Started uh, the Evening Encouragement Devotions. We'll do uh, three or four week stretches of that. That started during COVID and we've kept it going since then on, on a somewhat regular basis. We started a new project called Bible Breath a couple of months ago where we do a deeper dive into doctrine. So we're in the process of finishing up that curriculum. And, and every great once in a while, I, I sub in for Pastor Mike on the, um, for, uh, for preaching. And it's a, it's a great gig. I'm glad to be a part of it. So if you didn't catch that, he's a beast. Now, where can they find all this stuff at? Any, any place at Time of Grace is all the different social media platforms. Um, just look for Time of Grace, Pastor Jeremy. You can also download the Time of Grace app on your phone, Roku, Apple TV device, Amazon Fire TV, Android TV, and of course on timeofgrace.org slash TV. And yes, they do force us to memorize that so we can share it as often as we can. <laughs> All right, so hold up real quick, Pastor. I want to know, what did you think about me when you first got to our church? Outstanding in every way, just... Uh... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't uh, see all I got to tell you. I don't I do not remember the first time you and I met. Um, I don't even remember how old you would have been. So 2004, do you know how old you would have been at that time? Around 16. OK, so so high school, later high school. Um, I remember your dad, though. Um, I remember your mom and dad real well. And one th one thing in particular that your dad said. So back in 2004, I just graduated from the seminary. I looked like 40 <laughs> years younger than I do right now. <laughs> um, and uh it was the Sunday before I was going to be installed as the new pastor. And I came and I was introduced and brought up to the front and everybody was really nice. Everybody was really polite, but, but your dad, your dad told me a couple of weeks later, he's like, he's like, you know, when, um, when you went up to the front of the church and you were introduced as the new pastor, I thought they misspoke. I thought they or like, I misheard them that they said, like, it's like, this is the son of the new pastor. But, um, but, uh, but then, but then I realized that it wasn't. And I realized we were getting this, like this, pipsqueak guy with his underage looking wife and he was going to be my pastor. And I thought, no way, <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out, it turned out all good. Um, it is funny though. Cause you are, you did look super young. You still look super young. Yeah. But yeah. now it's funny. Cause some people describe you with the dreamy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> your, your dad did not. So okay. I, can, I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, so something I remember vividly about you, it's kind of like your storytelling ability. I think you maybe had wanted to be a journalist. So you could definitely see that in his sermons. And that that helped me focus and pay attention. So that's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I did want to go into journalism, broadcast journalism. Um, I was either going to go into ministry or I was going to go into journalism. And, and I mean, they're, they're similar in a lot of ways, but they're very, very different. And I, I applied to two colleges. The ministry college, Martin Luther College, and Syracuse University, which has a great journalism school. And I was accepted to both and thought that if I went out to Syracuse, I was either going to lose my faith out there within just a year's time, or I was going to get done with uh, I was going to get done with one year of Syracuse and just come back anyway. So I thought 
I'll spare myself whatever whatever grief would uh, would come from either of those and and uh, and go on out and do ministry. And then you know just awesome awesome to see how God works. Um, you know that um, that passion for journalism and media and things like that it, it never died out. Um, and so to be to, to cross paths with Time of Grace and and uh, the incredible media ministry that it is to be a part of it it's it's um and it's a, it's been a, a cool thing for me to be able to look back and see this is that's one particular way God was paying attention to me and directing my path in a way that that shows that yeah he he knows me and he knows he knows where I am and where I need to go yep God said do my work yeah. and I'll give you this stuff too <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk a lot today about spirits, specifically evil spirits. But before we get into that, you know, we like to do the first world problem. So our first world problem question today I have for Pastor Jeremy is this, and it's going to kind of be like a two or three part question. But when you hear people say, man, my granny is in heaven watching over me. And we kind of look at that and I'm like, uh, is that true or not? How do you answer that, Pastor Jeremy? With a lot of thought, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of emotion that goes into a question like that. That's uh, that's coming from somebody who's who's missing someone that they love, and you don't want to just you don't don't want to gloss that over. You know, there there aren't too many places in scripture where, where we can go and definitively say like this is what this is what they're experiencing in heaven right now. The parable of the uh, well, we don't know if that's a parable or or if Jesus was telling a real story, but the rich man and Lazarus that gives us that gives us kind of some insight. Uh, as to what's going on, you know, when Lazarus was in heaven, he was fully enjoying it. And we know that he was not aware of what was going on in hell, that, uh, that he was, you know, that, that seems pretty clear that he was not aware of what the rich man was suffering in hell, that he was, he was protected from that. Um, beyond that, was he aware of what was going on in heaven? It, uh, that, you know, that account doesn't say specifically. Uh, one of the basic parts about that that I do like to point out though, is that our loved ones in heaven don't need to be watching over us because, because God takes full responsibility for that. He sends his angels to do that. Our heavenly father does that. Jesus does that. The Holy spirit does that, you know, all, all, all the fullness of God, plus all the armies of angels, they are already sufficiently watching over us so that he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to recruit our, our loved ones who are with him there to, to do something other than just, just enjoy heaven and gather around the throne and worship the lamb. So so, th so they're not watching over us, but does that mean they're unaware of us? I think that's the fear that people have when they ask that question. And there's nothing in scripture that says that they are unaware of us as if they've like forgotten us or we've dropped out of their memory bank in some way. Um, in fact, in so many places in scripture, scripture seems to indicate really, really clearly that like we're going to remember the relationships we had on earth and we're going to treasure them and experience them in perfection, of course, when we all get there. But, you know, but to think that for a time, for this time between that, that we're in now before Jesus comes back, that our loved ones in heaven are like ignorant of the people that they love, mm -hmm. loved on earth, you know, scripture doesn't indicate that. And I, and I would never tell that to anyone. I, um, I, uh, I, I much rather believe that they are fully aware of what's going on in our lives. They don't need to watch over us or protect us. They're not our guardian angels. We have, we have angels. We have a, we have a God watching over us. Um, but they see our lives and, uh, you know, some people say, well, I don't, they might think, I don't want them to be aware of what's going on down here. That would just make them sad. And from our perspective, that makes sense. But they just, they would seem to look at our life. It would seem that they would look at our lives the way that our heavenly father does, you know, just preach, preach, yeah. perfect, <laughs> perfect perspective on it. 
you know, just understanding the fullness of God's plan, being perfectly content with it and very excited about it. And of course, longing just, just like, just like we do to be together again in eternity. Mm -hmm. So one big thing that you pointed out though, was the fact that we don't need any more watching over us. Like God has us. I think sometimes we do forget that, that message right there. And then the second thing that I wanted to point out or kind of ask you about is that the rich man and Lazarus. So it seemed that the person who was in hell kind of had more awareness about what was going on on earth, almost like it was a punishment. Do you think that's something that could possibly be accurate? Or maybe the people who are not in heaven, I should say, can kind of have more whereabouts or that's kind of a punishment for looking at the earth? Yeah, it. Um, I mean, it seems that they're not only aware of what's going on on the earth, but that the rich man was also aware of what was going on in heaven. And so he was able to see what he was missing out on, which, which I do believe is going to be one of the, one of the very extreme pains of eternity in hell for those, for those who will live their eternity in hell, that, that they'll know what they missed out on. They'll know what they pushed away. And in addition to the immense physical suffering that, that they're going to experience the, the emotional suffering that comes along with, it's like, there was something better mm-hmm. and, and I didn't pay attention and yep. You know, that's, that's going to be hard, but yeah, scripture doesn't, does seem to indicate that, that that's, that's going to be part of their suffering forever. Now for our listeners, I don't want to put you on the spot. This is the rich man and Lazarus. You can literally Google that. Do you know the, where this is at in the Bible? Exactly. Uh, Luke, Luke 10, I would guess. Luke 10 is at, at Luke 10 is. I'm, um, we'll fact check that though. Yeah. But if not, you can type that. in. It is around there. (laughs) Yeah, you can type in the rich man and Lazarus and you should be able to find it. So our first world problem question today was kind of how do you respond to people when they say like my granny or my mom or somebody's watching down to me and having he answered that. But then that second part of man, does it matter because people who did not go to heaven, do they have more saying? He kind of answered that too. But would love to hear from you on Instagram or on Twitter or how you have possibly answered that. And remember, my handle is championlife 23 and this is our first world problem. Oh, we got it. It's Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. We got a beast on the back end. I'm not going to tell you about her. We just keep her. <laughs> keep her. Yeah, if, you go, if you go to Luke 10, you'll, uh, you'll, find, uh, you'll find a good account of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good one, too. <laughs> yep. And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is Get Away From Me, Satan. We have our special guest, Pastor Jeremy. So the reason I want to do this episode is because I actually remember one of the Grace Talks and I remember texting you. I had to go look at my phone. I think it was two years ago about some of this stuff. So I was like, ooh, I always want to do an episode and then just kind of looking at how our world is and evil spirits and demonics, demonic stuff. I was like, ooh, let me hit up Pastor Jeremy and check out the app to see and hear that fantastic grace talks episode where he breaks down some of the demonic stuff and it's just kind of eye-opening like dang this this stuff is real and i'm gonna start off with a question for him today first one is have you ever been around anyone who was possessed by a demon the the short answer is yes the um slightly longer answer is i got i got to define two, uh, two different aspects of, of what can happen when, when demons are interacting with someone, you know, there, there are a lot of folks in the world who have no experience with this at all. And they, uh, they should not feel badly about that, that, that somehow they've, they've missed out on this, or they've missed out on the reality of Satan and how he, and how he operates in this world, like, like seeing that and feeling that in ways that a lot of people do. 
Um, then there's the, um, you know, uh, demonic possession, which is what you're asking me about. And, mm -hmm. you know, demonic possession, uh, defining that is, you know, that's like when control of some aspect of your life is taken away from you, you know, you think of what I think would be the stereotypical things like, like a person's voice changes or they're in convulsions or they, they can't control where they're going or, or, or different, you know, or, or different things like that. Uh, something else is controlling you in an unusual way. And, and in this case, it would be, it would be a demon. So I think that's what most people think of. There's another category though, that, that I've become familiar with over the course of my ministry. And it's uh, it's demonic, uh, what I'll call oppression or torment where a person is in complete control of, of their body, all their faculties, everything that they're able to do. Uh, but they are, they are aware, like they can, they can sense or perceive demonic activity around them, even identify mm -hmm. where demons are in particular places around them. And sometimes very acutely aware of where, um, where the demonic is around them. Um, but the demonic, while they can't control them, they can inflict pain on them, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain so hold on, um, let me stop you real, real quick because yep. i got a question so would that be like people who are possibly like playing with ouija boards or kind of getting into witchcraft or is that something different yeah i know we'll touch on that a little bit later um in my experience those who suffer from demonic oppression or torment have not dabbled with those things okay it's a it's, it's a different category altogether um you know demonic demonic possession that can that can come from opening you know intentionally opening the door to to satan and um, kind of, kind of inviting him in. Um, but yeah, the, the demonic oppression is, um, is one that I don't know that there are any books written about that I've, <laughs> that I've discovered and nobody, I've, I've never heard anybody talk about it. I became familiar with it because, um, because a person came to me and through the course of just meeting and counseling and listening, they, um, they explained something that, that, uh, that was, that was new to me, but, but very, very real. And I've, so I've, I've spent time, I spent time with both with, with individuals who've been, who've suffered from demonic possession and also those who suffer from demonic oppression or torment. Gotcha. Okay. So when we, when we talk about that, is there a difference in a way, I guess, between like, let's say an evil spirit and a demon? Cause like, when I think about demons or when I usually talk about demons, I'm talking about like fallen angels, but I know the Bible talks about like unclean spirits or evil spirits. Like, is there a difference or is that kind of the same thing or? Yeah, I think scripturally, you can't make a strong case that those are different, that they seem to be pretty much the same thing. You know, I mean, in general terms, if you're using the word spirit as like somebody's like inner being or motives or life or something like that, you can say somebody is acting like with evil motives, but that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. And that doesn't seem to be what scripture is talking about when it identifies an evil spirit uh, or a demon, they seem to be pretty synonymous. Because mm -hmm. like the goal of a demon would be, of course, like temptation. If it's not necessarily possession, possessing you, what would be the other goals for demons? Uh, the goal of every demon is the same. It is to, to rip people away from God and to make it very, very difficult for people to rest in all the good things that Jesus gives us. That is, that is their only goal. Um, their only goal is to rip our, rip our souls away from God. Mm -hmm. And I know as a, as a typical person, and I know, I, or at least I've said this, you know, you get around some people and you're like, boy, this person crazy. They must have a demon in them. Like they must have an evil spirit in them. But what are some real ways to know, like, all right, you are around some evil spirits. You are around some demons. Yeah. It depends what you ask. <laughs> it depends what, uh, depends what they experience. Um, you know, I mean, in general, just so, so go back to the garden of Eden, you know, they were, there was very much demonic presence there as, as Satan 
was tempting Adam and Eve, but he fit in. He fit in with the rest of creation. So it didn't, it didn't look like anything other than what their normal lives looked like, which is, I think, you know, most often the way that Satan works. Um, it's not the, it's not the shocking approach that most people are used to, at least not, not most people around where you went, where you and I have grown up and lived. Um, it's, uh, it's the subtle lies that Satan, that Satan gets into, gets into our minds. Um, but, you know, but, you know, what are some ways that people would know that they're around evil spirit or demons? You know, sometimes you think of, um, when things seem to be out of the norm of what you would expect, you know, you see that in the Bible as well with like a guy who was possessed by a legion of demons. And he just, he was stronger than the average person would be. Mm -hmm. And, and he was crazier than the, than the average person would be. And he didn't have much control at all over, over what he was doing. So, so those types of things can happen. The, um, you know, people have talked about like the, the temperature in a room can change just suddenly and dramatically those, you know, those, those types of things. And, um, so if, if something happens like that, it, you know, it could be, it could be a sign if something out of the norm is happening, you know, that we can physically perceive, uh, that, that could, that could be an indicator. Um, um, those who are, you know, those who are possessed are sometimes, uh, able to notice the presence of spirits in ways that people who aren't possessed, um, you know, that, 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 that we, that, that you and I can't. And so it's, it's not always possible for somebody who's, who doesn't have any engagement with, with the demonic to know, to know what's going on. Like there was a, there was one person I worked with back in my ministry that she was able to come into a physical space. Like she and I could be in the same physical space. And she was able to identify where the demons were in that physical space. Mm, okay. She was able to point them out and say, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there, there's one you're here, you know, different, different things like that. And of course I was completely unaware, now, but, she was, but, thing... she, but she was able to do that. And it wasn't in a, like a possessed state. It was just, she had, she had experience with the demonic that, that I never have. And so in, in some way that made her aware of demonic activity in a way that I, that I am not. Now with that, did you ever notice something like the temperature change in the room or is there anything? No. Okay. It wasn't out the norm. That was a good point. I thought you brought up about the not looking like a huge monster. Probably for me, it looked like a beautiful woman who wants to rip my heart out. But yep. Yeah. What were you about to say though? Uh, just shifting to those like who are demonically like oppressed by demons or tormented by demons. Um, I, you know, people who, people who experience that they, they can definitely discern the presence of demons in ways that, that, that people who are, who don't experience that, that, that they can like, like in, in sessions with, uh, with, with one person that I've dealt with in this on a, on a regular basis, you know, I, I, I have no, no ability to perceive what the demons are doing or what their perception is. So I rely entirely on the individual to report to me, mm -hmm. like, what is going on? What are you perceiving? And so she would able, she would, she would try to describe it as best she could, but she would, um, she basically just have to close her eyes and like points to a place, points to a direction away from her and say, there's, there's a demon here. There's three demons here. There's another one circling back here. And sometimes she would even take out a piece of paper and start to draw things. So like, what's, what's the reality of what she's perceiving so that I would have some kind of sense of, of what was going on and where the demons were and, and how they were interacting with her. But, but I didn't experience any of it. Now with that, did she ever point out that there were angels or there were, yeah. Did she ever point out maybe angels being there? When yeah. I say angels, I mean like godly yep. angels, not. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she, she could do both in a way then. Yeah. Okay. So what are some ways that we should be aware that we are playing, or I should say inviting demons inside of us? Cause I look at us like 
were a hotel or a house or a temple and Christian spirit of God in us. But there are ways that we try to vacate God sometimes and bring those spirits into us but that we might not even know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really three categories of what we're dealing with here. There's there's playing with demons. There's opening doors so that the demons have an opportunity to work, you know, opening doors that we wouldn't have to open and they wouldn't have the opportunity to work. And then there's just just straight up inviting them in. So three different things. Playing with the demons would be like being careless with ways that demons are known to have worked in the past. This would be like the Ouija board, you know, right. like since it's, it's so, it's so well known and kind of broadly accepted that the Ouija board is connected with some type of demonic activity playing around with the Ouija board would be an example of playing, playing with demons thinking that, Oh, I'm, I'm strong enough to, you know, whatever, whatever comes my way. That's uh, that's playing with demons. And it's just, it's just dangerous. You just, you don't want to play with an enemy that wants to destroy you. Uh, even if, you know, multiple people who've done the Ouija board thing, it's just a board game, you know, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, even if however many times nothing has ever happened or you've never heard of anything happening, uh, Satan is, he doesn't work obviously. And he's, he's often very patient and, and, you know, like the Bible describes him as a prowling line looking, you know, looking for just the right moment to attack. Um, so he might make someone really, really comfortable with a tool that is used previously like a Ouija board. Um, so that on the 35th time that, uh, that they try it, you know, that's when, that's when he pounces. Yep. So that would be an example of playing around, you know, playing around with demons, opening doors to uh, to demonic activity, boy, that's scripture is way more broad when it comes to that. Like if you go, if you go to into, into Ephesians four, you know, there's, that's where you find the passage. Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, when I hear that, I think of like a door closing, but somebody just gets their foot in the door just before it closes. And so it can't close all the way. So there's still, there's still an opportunity for things to pass, pass through. And you go in that section of Ephesians four and try to figure out, well, what are the things we do that give the devil a foothold? That is a, that is a section that lists a whole lot of just simple things mm -hmm. like, like lying, uh, treating believers like they are outside the body of Christ letting your anger get the best of you, uh, going to bed angry with someone, stealing, being lazy, being greedy, putting people down instead of building them up, being bitter or nasty to somebody, uh, fighting, refusing to forgive someone, you know, just, just what, what people might consider a real subtle, simple, everyday type of sins that are easy to just, just kind of gloss over. But scripturally, they're a big deal because any, any one of them is, is a step away from God's guidance and a way that Satan gets his foot in the door yep. and it kind of, it kind of keeps, keeps the door, keeps the door open. So that's playing with demons, opening the door uh, to demons. And then the last one, uh, just, just inviting them in, which is, which is just horrendously foolish. But this is, this is idolatry on every level where the only reason that somebody would, with a rational mind, invite the demonic into their life um, would be either because they, they think they know better than God, <laughs> you know, who tells us to flee from all that kind of stuff. Um, or because they're looking to something other than God for the things that only God can provide. You know, it's like, well, you know, God, I asked you to heal me. I asked you to heal me. You haven't healed me. You haven't healed me. So I'm going to go outside of you. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go to your enemy and I'm going to, I'm going to ask Satan. And some people might do that out of desperation or something like that. But, um, but that's, that's just straight up inviting them in. And that's, um, that's never going to go well. Yeah. That almost sounds like that type of Illuminati type of stuff where people mm -hmm. think that someone's trading something in order to get riches or fame. All right. So think about thinking about Halloween, thinking about all the stuff that are, that is on Netflix, like horror movies where people are getting stabbed and dying and, 
Remember people saying, don't look in the mirror and say this so many times. People that are playing with demons and evil spirits in movies. Is that something as Christians we should like, nah, I'm not watching that because that could be inviting an evil spirit or demon into me. Uh, yeah, not, no, not necessarily. The uh, You just got to know where to draw the line. And, and a lot of that comes from knowing your own heart. Like if, you know, if, if you know that's going to be an area of temptation for you, where you're going to be tempted to start believing that, you know, putting, putting some confidence in those kind of things and, you know, stay away, just slam the door on, on everything that you recognize as temptation. If, um, you know, if you can, if you can find entertainment and relaxing value, you know, and, and <laughs> I don't know who relaxes during a horror movie, but, uh, but, but it can distract you from the, from the day to day and things like that. And if it's, if it's purely an entertainment type of thing, where it's not engaging your heart or, or tiptoeing your heart in a direction that shouldn't be going. It could be just like any other, any other form of entertainment. You mentioned trick or treating too. You know, there's, there's no scriptural passage that says thou shalt not trick or treat. Um, are there demonic connections with Halloween? You know, there, there have been throughout history. Does that mean that if you go trick or treating or send the kids out dressed as a, dressed as a crayon or a clown you know, or, or something like that, that, you know, that, that you're indulging in Satan worship or, or at least keeping the door open? No. It might just mean you love candy and you want to visit your neighbors, you know? So you just, you gotta, you gotta know what's going on in your own heart and what perception it's, you know, it might, it might be given to the people around you too. Did you dress up for Halloween? Yeah, not this year. Um, no, no, I can't say that. Yeah, I did actually. It wasn't on Halloween though. The, um, the neighborhood where we, where we live, they had a, um, a pet costume contest and I was one of the judges. And so as the judge, I felt it was my duty also to dress up. So, so we're here in uh, just north of Houston, Houston, NASA is in Houston. So I dressed up as a NASA astronaut, full NASA spacesuit. And, um, and uh, that's what I was when I was judging the, the pet costume contest. But you hear that people, he didn't dress up as a devil with some horns and a pitchfork or whatever the devil usually uses. Right. Okay. Yeah. Although um, someone, so there was, um, uh, there was, there was a kid who came and you, there were like, there was a competition for, um, for uh, best combo costume where like the human and the pet are dressed up as, you know, something that fits together. And there was a kid who came in wearing a yellow raincoat, holding a red balloon. And the, um, and his dog was dressed up as Pennywise, the clown from it. And, um, and it was, I mean, it was a convincing costume. I'll say that like they, uh, they did their work on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> But going back to that, that plan with it now, something that I have noticed, and this is not biblical or not, may not be biblical, of course, but it's like music, how much music plays a part and almost invites demons into people. Like, I don't know if you heard the song, Nuck If You Buck, or certain songs that come on, people are ready to fight. They're ready to go crazy. They're ready. They act like a completely different person. And I'm like, man, is that something that invites demons? Is that something that invites evil spirits into them? And then I started thinking about um, King David playing music for Saul and then have the reverse effect. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you definitively that, you know, this is when that happens. This is, this is when this is the case. This is when it's not, but, but yeah, even scripturally, like you said, there seems to, seems to be something, something intertwined in how we put music together and the messages that, that we provide for our music. But, you know, in general, any, any song that's going to take you away from scripture in any kind of way is, is at least allowing Satan to get his foot in the door. Um, I know there have been like long documentaries on music going back decades and decades and decades that were, you know, influenced by Satan worshipers and satanic activity and how that showed up. And I'm, uh, I'm not an expert, anything close to an expert in, in any of, in any of those things, but, but there, there is something to how, 
um, what's going on spiritually intermixes with what music does to us that we just, we'd be wise to be careful about it. Yep. And I think about the, the rise of mental health issues in our society and in our culture. Like think about there's bipolar, you could be schizophrenic, things like mute or being deaf. And I know in the Bible, it talked about, you know, getting rid of that type of, of, of demon. Do you think those things could possibly be demons like schizophrenia or other mental health issues? And I was thinking about Luke chapter 11, verse 14, when I when I mentioned that. And in Luke, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man had been mute, spoke and the crowd, they were amazed. Yeah, you know, I think I think they could be. I think a lot of what shows up in scripture, you know, today might be characterized as severe, severe mental health. It's it's hard. To, it's hard to say for sure. And you know, definitely, definitely not saying that, that all, or even most, or, you know, or any of, any of those are, but I mean, just, just in general, whenever it comes to caring for an individual who's suffering in any type of way, if, um, I mean, just the basic principles of, you want to start with deep scriptural encouragement. Like that's, that's where you want to start while also using all the tools that God has allowed us to develop along, you know, along the years to care for the body and the mind you know, all the different medicines, the knowledge we have about the brain and how the brain interacts with our body and, and how we perceive things, you know, so like care, care for the whole self, but, but grounded in really, really great spiritual, spiritual care. And then whether it's, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's spiritual, you know, whatever it is, then you're addressing every aspect, even if we're not able to accurately, you know, as accurately as we'd like diagnose. Yeah. This is coming from a demon. This is coming mm -hmm. from, you know, just basic biology or, you know, or, or anything like that. But, but, but that's, that's just, that, that ought to be the general care of how we care for one another anyway, you know, deep spiritual roots while also using everything that God has allowed us to develop over the years to care for, care for our bodies, care for our minds. Yes. So you just made me think of something else too. Have you ever been in a situation? Cause I feel like I have where something, the person seems evil or it almost seems demonic and you say a quick prayer to yourself, or have you ever been in that situation where you have literally said demon, get out of this person, or how have you approached those situations where you felt like you might be dealing with demons or dealing with someone who has an evil spirit in them? Nothing, nothing on the spot, I guess that I can recall. Um, you know, my, my interactions of even being able to speak to demons have, um, they've come in settings where I, I had an idea that they would be coming, you know, where I'm meeting with somebody who's been tormented, meeting with somebody who has a history of possession, meeting with, gotcha. so, you okay. know, meeting with somebody who has these things where, where I have, um, I have, a, I have a pretty good idea coming in that there's going to be some interaction. Um, so that's, that's been my experience. I know that's not the case with everyone though. So unlike movies, you didn't bring a cross and some water or some cloves or some garlic cloves or anything. You just brought the word and you were ready to go. Uh, the word was definitely the dominant, you know, the dominant feature of, of any kind of, of any kind of session, but, you know, but in, in some of the sessions I, I would bring a cross, okay. you know, I'd have it there not because it's like a good luck charm or anything like that, but just because it serves as a, a visual focal point for, for everybody who was in the, for everybody who was in the room. Um, so it was useful. It wasn't, you know, the, the cross itself didn't have any magic powers and, um, but the meaning behind it, of course, did and always does. And to be able to point visually to that, to back up what I'm saying, you know, just to give a little, little more oomph to, to what I'm saying with my mouth and with, uh, with my words, it's, uh, I found it, I found it useful, not necessary, but, but we found it, we found it useful in the same way that when we put together our, our churches, most Christian churches have a, have a cross somewhere where people can prominently see it because it just, mm -hmm. 
it's another tool that helps us focus our attention on, on the one who's already defeated Satan. Yep. The ability to fix your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, I, I read something that said a Christian can't be possessed or completely controlled by an evil spirit since the Holy Spirit resides in the heart of the believer in Christ. And they quoted First uh, John chapter four, verse four. Is that true or is that false? Yeah, that uh, that, that sounds really good. <laughs> but you got to be um, but you got you got to be just careful there. Um, so, like, you know, just ima imagine for a moment like, that that somebody, somebody is possessed by a demon that you come across somebody who's, who is possessed, you know, obviously that a demon is taking control of them. You know, if, um, if a person who has faith cannot be possessed by a demon, if that's what we're believing, then what would that lead us to conclude about that person? If they are possessed by a demon, it would lead us to conclude that, well, they obviously don't have faith. They must mm -hmm. not, they must not be a believer. And that's, and that's where you have to be careful because, you know, how do you come to that conclusion by evaluating the person? How are they acting? How strong they are? You know, just, you know, different, different things like that. And, you know, but what, what human being in the history of the world could ever be evaluated according to their actions and the strength of their faith in a way that always leads us to conclude to the conclusion that that person obviously belongs to God, mm -hmm. you know, that we, we never can, nobody can ever be evaluated in that way. So at least we have to be careful. We have to allow for the possibility of, you know, of weakness showing up because we're all weak. Um, however, in our weakness, you know, even with weak faith, we can, we can turn to Christ. A person Amen. with weak faith can be turned to Christ and the power of his word, you know, to passages like, you know, like the one that, that you mentioned from first John four, the, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Or like from the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, we all, we all have weak moments in our faith and in a weak moment of faith can, can a demon take advantage of that? Yeah. Yep. But that demon is still not more powerful than the word of God. And so the word of God needs, needs to be applied. The, um, the story of Satan's interaction with Job is, you know, is there's something really insightful there that, that maybe sometimes gets missed, but it's, you know, who, who was it that suggested Job for the suffering? And, and it wasn't Satan who did God. God is the one who suggested Job. Um, Satan, Satan was roaming around and, you know, and just looking, looking for his next target. And, and the book of Job tells us that God is the one who said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And so God opened the door to Job for Satan. And that's really significant that he did because it meant that God was fully confident that God was able to do everything that God had promised that, that he's promised really to any one of us, that God was able to guard Job's faith, that God was able to, to protect his body, that God was able you know, just, he was, he was able, he was able to impose limits on Satan so that Job would not be ripped away from God's kingdom. I mean, Job, Job went way up and down through that whole journey. There were times he was down in the dumps, angry at God, hate, hating life, um, wondering, wondering what's going on. But, but that was all part of, you know, in God's wisdom, knowing what Job could take in a way that wouldn't completely crush him. And that would along the way, build his faith into what we see at the end of the book where he's completely confident in God, despite all the suffering. And before he gets everything restored, um, it's, a, it's a section of scripture that allows us as Christians to face anything that Satan sends at us with a lot of confidence, remembering that Satan only acts by God's permission. Not that God gives him permission on every act or anything like that. It's not like God is telling him what to do, but he imposes limits on what Satan is able to do. And he enforces those limits. And he enforces them in a way that gives us a lot of confidence that God is 
God is going to use that power over Satan to keep all of his promises to us, to guard us, to protect us. We're still going to struggle. We're still going to, our weakness is still going to be exposed, but, but God's going to hold on to us. And that gives, I mean, that just gives us a lot of confidence going into any discussion about satanic activity or even any interaction that we have with how Satan operates in this world. Yeah. Demons, Satan is strong, but no match for God. Hallelujah. No match. You know, a really important point here is that demons push back. Like in my experience, they push back really, really hard. Um, I'm thinking of my experience with demonic oppression and torment when, when somebody still has full control of what's going on in their body, but they're, but they're being oppressed by the demonic in a way that they can feel, they can sense, and it has, it has very negative impacts on them. Like, like we, we'd go into those sessions and we would start giving the demons commands and they would obviously hear them. They would react to them, but they would push back. And, and sometimes they would need to hear it multiple times and you would need to go, you know, just go after a certain demon multiple times. And then demons often, they, they, uh, they set themselves up in layers where they hide behind other demons. The goal, the goal with, um, the goal with addressing demons who are afflicting a person is to get to like the chief demon, because there's, there's typically a chief demon who's giving orders to all the lesser demons to do all their things. But the lesser demons do a good job of hiding the identity and the place of the chief demon. So oftentimes you have to, you have to go demon by demon through the lesser demons until, one, until they either give up and run away or they give up the identity or the location of the chief demon. And that takes a lot of time. And not just yeah. like in one session, but session after session after session uh, after session. You know, it just, it's uh, demons, they, they push back, they're clever. And they don't, they don't, they don't give up. Also, not all scripture impacts all demons in the same exact way. Like, um, like you can't just pick a random Bible passage and <laughs> say it to them. And, you know, and that's just gonna, that's just gonna silence them. Well, uh, one thing I've learned, um, one thing I've learned along the way is that, is that there, there are certain passages that will connect with, with demons in ways that, that others don't. And to really pay attention, we learn to pay attention to those along the way, to write those down, come back to those again and, uh, and again and again. Like, like there, was, there was one individual with whom we were working where um, sections from the book of Revelation were really powerful in mm-hmm. causing the demons to, to be weakened in a real obvious way. And one of those sections was the place where people are gathered around the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, the one who is and was and who is to come. And so as we were reading through that scripture in that, in that session, uh, the individual who was being tormented, like it was very obvious, like, whoa, that did something. Say it again, she said. And so we said it again and it, you know, did it again. And then again and again. So we would come back to that session after session after session. Um, oftentimes we had somebody else in the session with us to like pray along the way and you know, notice things. And we would have that person sometimes just repeat that verse over and over again and again, uh, while I was, while I was saying a prayer or doing, or doing something else, because that particular word of scripture really, really impacted the demons in a way that, that crippled them. Um, and in ways that other passages didn't and, you know, and why that one and not others, you know, I could speculate, but, um, you know, but demons, demons are unique creatures too. It's, um, it's not a one, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. And that's, that's a unique point or a good point. I should say, with the how many demons possibly could be in a person because i know which mary was it mary mary magdalene seven demons in her and the man who had the demons and they jumped in the pig so those definitely are cases of of multiple demons attacking one person yeah and and that's a lot now when you hear this when you hear first no when you hear timothy 4 verse 14 the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 
are we in those times? Like, is there anything that jumps out to you where you say our world is definitely being taught by demons? Yeah, I mean, having not lived through all the different ages of history and knowing that, you know, even even right after the time of Jesus, that the signs that Jesus pointed to of like, what are the end times going to look like? Like, I mean, we, we've been living in those in those times for for a long time. And so I guess I can't really say if we're if we're living in those in those particular times, are people abandoning the faith now? Yes. <laughs> Following mm-hmm. deceiving spirits and, and things taught by demons. Yes. You know, but was that happening also at the time of that writing? Yeah. Is it worse now than it, than it was then? You know, I don't I don't know. I think I think the general encouragement there is we don't need to spend so much time figuring out if that's where we are. We just we just always need to be more aware of Jesus, like always, always more aware of Jesus. Um and, and in, in particular, this, this is, this is one very important consi- consistent thing that I found in any, any kind of interaction with anybody who has any experience with, with the demonic is that their, their pain is always fixed on the topic of sin and grace mm-hmm. in some way. Like that's, that's what the demonic is trying to distract them from, um, for, uh, for a wide variety of possible reasons. Uh, guilt has a huge hold on at least at least the individuals that that I've been able to minister to, and they need to be reminded again and again that God holds nothing against them in Christ. That that Satan has nothing on them that's gonna you know that's gonna cause God to to take back His forgiveness. You know that that they are children of God, forgiven. That's like that that is the that is the clinching message that so obviously settles, you know, or is puts them on a path to set up to settling the, um, the anxious and tormented heart of people who are, who are oppressed and possessed by demons. It's always sin and grace and, and understandably. So that's, that's, I mean, that's why Jesus was sent. It's because there was a sin in the garden of Eden and God promised grace. And, and ever since then, Satan's been trying to blind God's children to that wonderful message that God, God provided it all. And we're already stronger than Satan because because Christ is in us and Christ is with us and Christ is for us. Um, so it's, it's, it's always about sin and grace. Always, always, always. It's not about just afflicting pain on a person or trying to do a show of strength or anything like that. It's just, it's always trying to distract us from sin and grace to make us believe that God wants nothing to do with us. That's the non-microwave truth right there. Now you brought up something that when you have counseled people or you have noticed people have had that guilt from maybe um, demonic oppression, is this something that they were kind of in denial about, or is this something they knew about right away? Or was it like, once they started going to church, all of a sudden they started realizing like, man, something's not right. My spirit is not right. Cause I'm just, I'm just trying to think if someone was listening to this episode and they were like, Whoa, do I possibly have a demon? Is that something that usually people know right away or. Yeah, I guess, I guess I can't say for sure. My, um, just in my experience with people, People never get tired of hearing that they're forgiven, and that 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 sets people free and sets their spirit free in a way that 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 nothing else does. Like, like that we don't owe God a thing. Like we don't we don't have to pay him back for anything. He just gives and gives and gives, and we get to rest in God looking at us through the lens of Christ and all that He did, and and He just He sees us as perfect today. He doesn't hold anything against us. He just sees you as perfect. And he's going to care for you perfectly because of what Christ did for us. And he already did it. Like 
boy, we need to hear that again and again and again. And, uh, and for any one of us, whether we can identify something as, as demonic, like, like acute demonic oppression or torment or possession or anything like that. I'm like that. Mm. I mean, man, that sets our hearts free and, and our hearts need to be set free a lot, you know, in, in that way we, uh, we can, we can beat ourselves up a lot about, about a whole lot of stuff without, without even realizing that we're doing it. Yeah. All right. My last question for you, when you look at the average entertainment outlet, so you look at movies, you look at music, you look at um, comedy. Do you think that is demonic led or demon led? Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I can't say that um, I will ever be able to come to that conclusion. <laughs> um, I think, I think maybe in some ways you can make a stronger case that he doesn't, he doesn't need to step into the entertainment industry because the entertainment industry all by itself already does a good job of giving Satan a reason to stay away is that it, the entertainment industry as a whole kind of gives, gives all of us the wrong priorities anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it distracts us from, it distracts us from God. It distracts us from his promises. It tells us to, to put our faith or our confidence or our hope in something other than, than what God's done for us in Christ. And if so, and so if that's, if that's the dominant message that the, the nation is already listening to or watching, then Satan doesn't even need to jump in because his job is being done mm-hmm. for him. And you could you could make the case that maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why in the United States we just don't hear about as much demonic possession, because he doesn't he just doesn't need to do that. Like sinful human hearts are already doing already doing his job doing his job for him, and even you know even got to be careful with like the, even good stuff that comes out of um, Hollywood or what you know what you consider good you know good family things like like anything anything that we put above God is an idol. Yep. Anything that we value above God is an idol. And you think of the movies that are universally considered good. Like what, what is it, what is it about those movies that people consider good? Well, they emphasize, they emphasize, you know, family or they emphasize, um, you know, this, a lot, a lot of good things, but, but the Bible speaks, you know, we gotta, we gotta be wise about that too, just to make sure we're not valuing the good things that God allows us to enjoy above the best thing that God wants us to enjoy, which is, which is God you know, and God and God for us. So, so if I were, if I were Satan and I don't try to put my, I don't, I don't try to put myself in the mind of Satan too often. Um, you know, the United States entertainment industry is not a place where I would think I would need to invest a lot of time right now. Yep. That makes sense. You, uh, you almost made me think of something that pastor Sorm has said before about that. We don't need to do it here, but in other countries where their focus is different, there is more flat out. You can see demonic possession of people. You alluded to that for sure. Pastor Sorm is actually the pastor that was pastoring at our church before Pastor Jeremy came. Mm -hmm. So we both know him from that. But then he also went on to work at the seminary, which is a place to help other pastors and then doing mission work across, I would just say the world. Would you you say that, Pastor Jeremy? Yeah, he um, is his primary role is to to train non-traditional pastors. uh, guys who want to be pastors who aren't coming through the kind of the traditional system of becoming a pastor here in the United States and really to do that um, all, all around the world. Yeah. He, um, he, I mean, he, he wrote a book on this, which boy, any, anybody would do well to pick up. It's uh, it's called 2000 demons, no match for my savior. And it's uh, just, just outstanding. And pastor Sorum will tell you that he, he never had any personal experience with, with, you know, demonic attacks or, or anything like that, or even interacting with folks who did it. Maybe he has since the writing of the book, but um but boy, in his travels around the world, that uh, that he's done for the seminary, he is 
he's been in a lot of places where where demonic activity is very real, very respected, and they take it they take it very very seriously because they have a lot of experience with it. But it's it's a great book. I've I've read it multiple times because it's it's just it's a great encouraging book that centers us on on the significance of Jesus. And say that and book the, title again. Two thousand demons, no match for my savior. I have to check that out myself. It's a it's an awesome book. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I won't keep you. I appreciate you being here today and breaking this down. Thanks to the listeners for joining me on this episode of Get Away From Me, Satan. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for your time. And we are out. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I am out. <laughs>